Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, January 15th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max, who's in a balmy climate, I think, <laughs> relative. It might be the only time I ever get to say that on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I was we were talking a little about the weather before we started recording, but it, there is always that shift where December teases winter you get a snowfall you get mostly below zero but the ground hasn't quite like permanently adapted that winter climate and it was i don't know scary is the right word for a moment there it that wasn't here in january it hadn't quite adapted but now midway through the month even if it's not quite as arctic like in montreal as southern ontario at the moment uh it does feel like proper winter now Yes, I see it's still only roughly kind of low 20s or into the teens Fahrenheit-wise, minus mm. 6, minus 13 in Montreal. We are getting buffalo weather currently in London. Lots of snow, lots of cold. Uh, my windshield wiper fluid wouldn't work today. Walked it to work, which was a bad idea. Um, but back home, back warm now. Excited to talk some football, some tennis, some hockey, some basketball. The weather will be a prominent factor in one of those categories. <laughs> and maybe two. Yeah, it's been it's been a really, really fun sports weekend. So I'm pumped to to chat about it. Absolutely. I have started the process of wrecking my sleep schedule for Australia and kind of scared about uh, the early podcast time, which lets me get like right into it. Like I start watching matches and then I just can't go to bed. Um, but we'll get to that. A lot of the um, regular season-based predictions do not seem to have turned out for this wild card weekend, though. No, uh, a lot of amazing defenses getting blown out and fantastic offenses getting stifled. Yeah, definitely some shockers here early on in Super Wild Card Weekend as we jump into our recap of four and a half out of six of the playoff games so far this weekend uh we're taping this around halftime bills Steelers, where the bills have a commanding lead with a 52 yard touchdown run by josh allen putting up a quick 21 on the board against the Steelers, uh, and then we will await the results of tampa bay philadelphia later tonight but scrolling it all the way back to saturday afternoon the weekend storylines i guess from the top was that every game had some sort of weather affecting it except for the one we're about to talk about and there weren't really any tight games until last night's game and so thankfully we got rams lions to finish out the weekend but starting in houston and myself included everyone seemingly leaning towards the Browns with a defense that had been excellent, but some of the underlying numbers on the roads probably should have set off some alarm bells for fans. And Joe Flacco, who had been an awesome flash in the pan, a great lightning rod for the team to rally around, he reverts back into 39-year-old Joe Flacco, and father time catches up. The Houston Texans come out with an absolute haymaker on this Browns defense. C.J. Stroud looked every bit of the franchise quarterback that 
the fans in Houston expect him to be and and what they thought they had in Deshaun Watson and before he did the things he did and moved on to Cleveland uh and Houston now has a better more fun talented young quarterback to cheer for and he was unbelievable in this game hanging in against pressure from Miles Garrett and the rest of the Cleveland defensive line delivering throws all over the field I think he had over 250 yards in the first half and then coming out second half the Browns rolled over from there Joe Flacco I can't remember the last time I've seen back-to-back pick sixes in a game let alone a playoff game and that's that's backbreaking the Browns couldn't recover Cleveland absolutely steamrolls them 45 to 14 and changes the complexion I think of Baltimore sitting as the one seed because now they're facing a Houston team that's going to come off of their best performance of their season riding a high CJ Stroud arguably now all already vaulting himself into the top five quarterback conversation or at least projecting to be and this Cleveland team showed that they were beatable. I think Baltimore wouldn't have been as scared to play them. But now this Houston team has been really frisky. Their defense is young and attacks the ball and, and makes big plays. And they they really set the tone for what it's going to be like now for the next 5-10 years for this franchise. It's really, really exciting for Houston, uh, even if they don't make it past this next round. Next game, we go Saturday night, the fourth coldest game in NFL playoff history. Wow. Minus 30 Fahrenheit. That's just cold, no matter where you live. I know we've got our friends out west in Alberta freezing right now in minus 40, minus 50 Fahrenheit. Uh, and, and cars won't start, and the power's going out because they're trying. everyone's trying to use their heaters and generators to warm up their cars. And so that's not working. It's it's just a, a gong show over there right now, but we focus on football here in Kansas City. There's pictures of beers freezing. There's videos of water bottles flash freezing when you take them out of the fridge. Oh my God. And while fans in the stands somehow had shirts off or just looked miserable if they were trying to bundle up, Taylor Swift couldn't even see the game through the frost in the windows. Poor girl. On the field. They kept it warm-ish because they have this cool uh, pipe system that goes underneath the grass and and can keep it at a reasonable temperature, which is important for the safety of the players because you can tear a lot of things trying to run on frozen grass. Believe me, I almost did it two weekends ago in Ottawa. But uh, a really fantastic performance by Kansas City, given the elements, Dolphins disappeared. There's those teal jerseys just look terrible when it's that cold and they're getting pounded. It's a team they man, they really should have won that last game of the season to be home in Miami because Tua is just turns into the worst quarterback in the league when he when it gets under 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And so he really struggled through a couple of interceptions. The Chiefs didn't have to do anything too crazy. It uh, looks like Kelsey was saving himself a little bit here for the playoff stretch because he turned it on here in this game, and and the Chiefs took care of business against a injury-riddled and and freezing to death Miami Dolphins team. And they'll look right now to prepare to head on the road to Buffalo, and things look a little bit nicer now for the Chiefs that Buffalo getting their game postponed 
from Saturday to Monday due to the unbelievable blizzard that ran through that stadium. They had to put a, a travel ban on the residents of the city of Buffalo because it was unsafe to drive in those wind conditions. How cool uh, and, would a football game and be in that condition? Come on. It, yes, but you got to think of the fans too. And I mean, if you, I don't know if you saw the videos, Max, it looked like the middle saw, of the ocean. Yeah, it would have been. You wouldn't have been Come able on. to see it on TV. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Maybe we'll get it one day. Maybe we'll get something like it. Maybe oh. without the wind. I think if it was just the snow, it would have been fine. But the wind was what really, really was the final it's nail. All, it's rugby. Yeah, rugby yep. in a white desert. <laughs> so Kansas City gets the benefit of an extra two days of rest now against Buffalo. And while Buffalo gets to stay at home, it's going to turn around a lot quicker for them no matter which day this game ends up being on. I'm guessing it'll be Sunday. Uh, but Chiefs get a couple of extra days rest to prepare. And, I mean, it's all you can ask for. That's the marquee matchup, Buffalo-Kansas City. It has been the last three, four years now. We move on to Sunday, and oof, the Dallas Maple Leafs strike again. <laughs> My Twitter, like I follow a lot of Americans for politics and Democrat, Republican, left, right. They all got together and sang at the demise of the Dallas Cowboys or the implosion, maybe. Yeah, it's the it's the guys holding the coffin dancing. That's the meme. Yeah. Everyone was celebrating the death of the Cowboys and as they do every year when the Leafs choke in the playoffs and people love to bury them. It, it's there's similarities, there's consistencies between the two. Uh, and, and this one is eerily similar and, and traumatizing as a Leafs fan that they lost in such dramatic and traumatic fashion. The, their defense disappeared. No one could defend. Yeah. Green Bay had free runners all over the field from Luke Musgrave to Dontavian Wicks to Jaden Reed, right? This, this young group of receivers got open at will. Really good play calling by La Matt LaFleur. It shows why he's been so successful in there the last five, six years now as Green Bay's head coach. And Jordan Love, another rookie quarterback. Him and Stroud going against the grain of guys who typically don't succeed in the playoffs as rookies. They have almost identical performances, really, really impressive stuff. He didn't really have to throw a pass in the second half. And the Packers walloped the Cowboys and, and Dak Prescott, as soon as they started from behind, turned into Mitch Marner, turned into Travis Dermott trying to do a spinorama against the Montreal Canadiens in overtime, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, gave away the ball, Packers defense has been atrocious all year and now the last two weeks has stitched together a pretty exciting run i mean it dallas be, still got like 30 something eh? it's all garbage time stuff though okay yeah they scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter yeah that and the packers were basically not trying at that point so the score looked a little closer than what it felt and and yeah just a really depressing loss i'm surprised we haven't heard that mike mccarthy was fired I'm surprised we haven't heard that yet, but it's it's bound to happen. Jerry Jones has Belichick on the phone in his right hand. Maybe mm. has Mike Vrabel on the phone in his left hand, right? There is there's actually a great variety of coaching options for this next yeah. season. There's like so, five or six who've been fired already, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I would be shocked if if we saw McCarthy staying on for next year. And 
the Cowboys have to make a really difficult decision about paying Dak Prescott because he's up for an extension. Before this game, everyone was saying, based on his almost MVP caliber season, that he was in line for $60 million. I don't know how you can pay him that anymore. Or at least pay him that for more than one year. Man. They have some interesting decisions to make in Dallas and take a, another good long look in the mirror about how they can change the identity of this team, much like the Toronto Maple Leafs are trying to do this year. However, we must talk about curse breaking and change in playoff fortunes as the Detroit Lions get their first playoff win in 34 years, Max. A really, really, really exciting first half with a ton of points. Um, off the top of your head, give me one guess as to who now holds the, you'll never get it, but who now holds the longest playoff drought across the four major sports so in football be oh. one game in uh baseball hockey basketball be series i i series okay because i saw a meme about like teams who hadn't won a playoff game since the ipad invented and it was some baseball team but i wouldn't even know the logo um diamondbacks so they would have been in the running but they actually made it to the World Series this year. Oh, shit. So that shows how much Max watches baseball. Uh, you're on the right track, though. Oh. It is a baseball team, the Cincinnati Reds. Okay. It's been how over long? 27 years since they've won a playoff series. Yeah. Yikes. And Detroit was in that boat. But now they're not, as they get a one-point thrilling win. Best game of the weekend against the Rams. No one could stop each other in the first half. Stafford was slinging it to Puka Nakua, who set the rookie receiving record in a playoff game uh, with 187 yards. Um, the Lions did a good job containing Cooper Cup, and, and when the Rams look back at it, they're going to regret. They had three red zone possessions where they ended up with, with field goals, and that was really the difference in this game. Uh, Lions' first three possessions, all touchdowns, Rams' first three possessions, a field goal and two touchdowns, couldn't stop each other. And then the Rams get the benefit of a semi-questionable false start and uh, are able to get a stop before the half. They don't end up doing anything and, and take it into the half. And from there, things really tightened up. Only, I believe, it would have been six, only nine more points scored in the rest of the game after a 21-17 wow. start. As things really tightened up, the Rams ran the ball well, but then couldn't score when they got into the end zone, near the end zone. So a lot of time ticked off the clock, and then they'd settle for a field goal. Happened twice late, and the Lions, uh, Jared Goff didn't turn it over, but they did go a little bit more conservative with the play calling in the second half, and I think that that led them to struggle a little bit more moving the ball. They also didn't touch the ball as much with the Rams really starting to run and chew clock. but. Late, the Rams choose to punt it to the Lions. Jared Goff makes the big play, doesn't turn it over, and they're able to kneel it out in front of the fans who had to trek through the snow and wind to put themselves up for another piece of unimaginable pain to lose to their former quarterback in Matt Stafford. Hmm. But they achieve salvation. They win their first playoff game, and now they're in a great spot with Dallas losing because they're in line now. To get a, they're going to get a home playoff game. 
against the winner of Tampa Bay Philadelphia. And so they get another game at home. And if they can win this, they're into the NFC championship game. So really, really exciting stuff. Uh, A really, really fun weekend. And assuming Buffalo wins here, then we know all of our matchups except for one. I think San Francisco is going to outclass Green Bay. They've really owned them from a franchise perspective the last five years. The Buffalo-Kansas City game is a complete coin flip. I don't even want to pick that. I'm just so thrilled. And then has it gone all Kansas City's way or has Buffalo won it in the playoffs? uh, In the playoffs, it's Kansas City's way. In the regular season, it's been Buffalo. Okay. But there's the whole 13 seconds thing with Buffalo. Yeah, will come up. But Buffalo's never been the home team. Okay. And Kansas City is on the slide. Yeah, we'll see. It is Kansas City. Yeah, you, maybe you don't want to say that and then have yeah. them win the Super Bowl in a month's time. They run the AFC. And then Baltimore-Houston. Uh, Houston actually beat Baltimore in the first game of the season between the two. I just think Baltimore is on another level across the league, them and the Niners. It's why they're the one seeds, and I expect Baltimore to put a, a lot on Houston's plate now that they have to go on the road. They have to go outdoors. It's just going to be a completely different beast that they face. Um and and Lamar Jackson is not Joe Flack. Mm-hmm. So a really, really fun week in football. Super Wildcard Weekend will come to a close later tonight. And as that comes to a close, we've got a new competition opening up here. The first major of the year as we move into tennis, Max. Give us the rundown on early Australian Open returns. Yeah, they're trying something different this year where they've added one extra day, which so far has not been aided uh, in terms of night matches. Or they were trying to cut down on the length of the night matches, which so far has not happened. None, so we're only two thirds through round one with uh, the rest of the draw playing tonight. But so far, I've been able to catch a couple matches and got the notes on some other ones. So for the players that have caught, I've been keeping an eye on here what's happened. First, and in the most detail, Andre Rublev goes through maybe not the most tactically exciting match, but just in terms of emotions and momentum, all of what makes tennis so exciting was there um, playing against someone who actually took out his friend and countryman in the first round of Roland Garros in a five-setter. I can't think of his first name, but Sebast Vile. Rublev clearly gets ahead early, um, has to get earn the break in the latter stages to take it 7-5 in the first set, gets another break in the second set, He's serving well. Uh, Saboth doesn't look too comfortable. It, there's a clear power advantage and just the difference between a top 10 player in the world and someone ranked much lower than that. But then the thing that makes men's tennis just so frustrating, I think, or so difficult is when a player starts serving well, it is almost impossible to beat them. Um, and some... You just never know when that little light is going to go off in their head and they're just going to put it into that gear. And that's what Sabotvile did. He just 
said screw it and started serving really really well and suddenly rublev couldn't get into any of his game games and then the implosion that if you're an andre fan you've seen way too many times eventually started coming the shot selection started getting a little desperate a little unwise the errors started piling up and he started getting broken um third set goes down fourth set roller coasters down all the way quickly and then going into that fifth set it felt like the train was the wheels were coming off the train and rublev was on his way to a meltdown and it was going to be another five set win for the brazilian over a top five russian player in a grand slam first round and then first game rublev um trying to hold or break gets a love 30 scoreline and then Sabot again just digs in and starts serving bullets um Rublev suddenly out of nowhere in that fifth set put on the best serving I've ever seen him play he was getting almost all of his first serves in almost all of them north of 200 kilometers an hour and all of them picking corners so he was getting through his service games no problem uh the next service game he gets a love 40 chance and again Sabotsvile just starts serving like crazy the other thing that happened in that third and fourth set was he just started swinging. Rublev, when the rally was 50-50, had the power advantage to take a hold. But same as when that light goes off in the head and you just start surfing well, when you just start swinging for the fences and everything's going in, like, what can the opponent do? And it's that freedom of I'm playing one of the best players in the world. Not, I'm down two sets to nothing. Nothing's expected of me. Um. I think in the fifths, you often see that come back down to earth when it's like, hold on, I could actually win this. I think you saw that a little. And that's why Rublev got these love 30, love 40 chances. But then the freedom just came back and he'd start swinging again. Um, the craziest came at, I guess it would have been 5 5. Rublev again gets a love 40 game. Owen, all three first serves, defending the breakpoint, Sabot's wild misses. All three second serves, he just says, fuck it, and serves like their first serves. And all three go in. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Like, Rublev was pouncing on the second serves. So at this point, like, he was up two sets to love. He had so many chances to break. He's been serving well, but it was really hard to know what was going to happen mentally going into the tiebreaker. And sure enough, he stumbles a little, goes down two breaks, 4-1. But Grand Slam, tie break, fifth set, you've got till 10. Uh, he was able to get the break, start returning a little better, get a couple of nice touches deep on some first serves. And that's, I think, the composure really settled in there. And he realized, if, if I can just get a neutral 50-50 rally, I have the power, I have the advantage. And that's what he did. He was able to take it and my heart was able to be still there it was just such topsy-turvy back and forth momentum everything i love and hate about tennis on that match he plays chris eubanks in the second round i'm really hopeful this is finally the the tournament he breaks that quarterfinals curse um the seeded projections would be for him to play yannick sinner which of the top four players, Medvedev, Sinner, Alcaraz, Djokovic, I think Sinner's his best bet. 
a lot of the commentary focused on how Rublev is missing that those extra couple layers, how he's just a big hitter. There's not more wrinkles to his game that that truly top tier elite has. And that's what lets Djokovic and Medvedev uh, take him out. It's what let Alcaraz take him out at the Nido ATP finals, even if it was their first head to head. You can imagine that completeness. I think Sinner lacking a little of that for now, at least, and is Rublev's best chance. Um, Sinner playing his first match of the tournament was able to get through against Vanderschulp uh, in straight sets. Didn't look amazing, Yannick, but his first, it's interesting the approaches. Like, is this your first match or do you play warm up matches? And then seeing the difference in different players. Uh, it wasn't a great looking match from Yannick. You expect he, he had to deal with some tough serving and some nice efforts at points. Uh, if nothing else, the straight sets means less rest time for him. So yeah, expecting both to move through their quarter of the draw for now, though Eubanks will be an interesting matchup for Sinner. Uh, Novak Djokovic, always a really big story at the tournaments, kind of similar to the Rublev went up against a player with a very similar playing style and just found himself stuck and bogged down at times. Not the back and forth momentum roller coaster, um, but Prismic, the name on everyone's mind, even Nick Kyrgios after uh, a tweet from him in June saying, who the hell is this guy? Uh, which went made its rounds after the match. Um, but oh, the entire world is buzzing with this kid because he just became a mirror of Djokovic, so calm, so steady, able to stay consistent in rallies, no weaknesses. Djokovic really had to dig deep and uh, he went down a break in the third set at 1-1. I think the ten this was at 5 a.m. I was passed out, but the tennis world did hold its breath for a minute before Djokovic was able to rest control back of the match. There's kind of two takes of one, this kid, 18 year old kids who's ranked outside the top hundred was able to push him this far in the first round, maybe father time's catching up. And the other is, oh my God, this kid was so good. And Djokovic got through, that's going to raise his level early and the rest of the draw is in trouble. He's slated to face Ben Shelton in the quarters. If both make their rounds, um, there's, we won't get into the drama, but there was another line of quotes going around there that week. I had, from what I saw that match in the playing styles, I think Djokovic handles Shelton without any problems and should be able to get, or that would be fourth round. Then you'd see Tsitsipas in the quarters if Tsitsipas can make it there with the injury. So I see a pretty smooth sailing for Djokovic, at least into the semis. Uh, on the other side of the draw, Daniel Medvedev, similar to Sinner, not having played any matches, and it showed first set, he's up a break and just completely collapses in the late games, gets um, broken twice, and drops the set out of nowhere. And from there, uh, his tall French opponent really took some confidence, started serving even more bombs than he was. It looked like we might have a really interesting match developing. And then the poor guy had some of the most brutal cramps I've seen manifest on a player's face. 
uh, it was that kind of classic, like, are you cramping or are you not? Cause like you're in such agony, you can't walk one point and then you're moving almost fine. The next point, um, it would have been interesting to see how that match played out without the cramps. And if that got enough under Medvedev's racket for him to not just have that weird collapse he had, uh, again in the second round. Last bit of uh, length, Felix Auger-Aliassime plays a marathon five-setter that I was actually able to watch the fifth set of this morning after waking up and realizing it was still going on. He takes out Dominic Taim for his first Grand Slam first round win since the Australian of 2023. So that's encouraging for the Canadians. Um, it was a weird fifth set. He... he had two double faults and got in trouble on his first first service game he was able to find the first serve after that and kind of bail himself out uh, but there were just a lot of points where he just rushed it and it was like he didn't have faith in himself to build the point and rally and he was just forcing drop shots and bomb forehands that were really low percentage um there was no big collapse on the and he was able to serve it out i think time was exhausted it was a bit of a collapse that it even got to a fifth set because he was up to nothing and had some chances at match points and like a big lead in the tie break so I'm not sure what the prognosis on felix's run will be or if we'll be able to talk about him next week uh tough other things for fans of the 2010s men's era with Andrew Murray, Stan Wawrinka, and Milos Raonic all getting bounced in relatively quick fashion by, uh, you know, I guess Manorino, who took out Wawrinka, isn't that young. Also mentioned on the men's side, just the difficulty of when an opponent is serving really well, and that's something you just don't see on the women's side. So there have been a lot of blowouts for top seeds. Anya Sabalenka, Coco Goff getting through uh, with bagels in hand and no other difficulty to speak of. Iga Swiatek and Elena Rybakina will be playing tonight. And frankly, I'm expecting to see the same from them. Really interestingly, though, only one men's seed, Nicholas Yari, knocked out uh, of the top 32, whereas like 10 plus women in the top 32 have been knocked out. Um, so I don't quite know what to make of that. Um, nonetheless, those four women's names, the ones I really have my eye on, uh, Naomi Osaka loses to Caroline Garcia, who does some inspired serving to get through in straight sets. So yeah, first week underway, really looking forward to seeing how this shapes up and where we are at in the second week. Phenomenal. We will continue to keep track of it next Monday, uh, and we'll finish up here with about five minutes of hockey and basketball. Uh, taking a look around the league here, it is wonderful to see two Canadian teams atop their respective divisions in the West. The Winnipeg Jets at 60 points, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, uh, it's the Vancouver not Canucks, at the top, but they are on it. Also streaking. Yeah. Yes, and the Canucks at the top of their division with 62 points. I got mixed up because we are going to talk Jets Oilers, two teams that are uh, a combined 18-1-1 in their last 20 games uh, between the two. The 
and and doing it in two completely different ways yeah right the jets doing it by committee with stout defense they are allowing the least or the fewest goals in the nhl they're on some ridiculous streak where since like some day in november they haven't allowed more than three there's only two teams in the league that have allowed less than 100 goals uh the kings are the other and la and i think winnipeg is like 14 less than them and they've played two more games like it's insane they're they're just so incredibly defensively responsible and connor hellebuck of course continues to be top two top three goaltender in the league and then on the other side with edmonton the offense has has come around and they've been a uh average defense and they finally been able to get some saves and so now that the, the offense is starting to hum. They're putting up more production, and, and it's leading to some wins. And, and we knew the turnaround was going to come eventually for them with the talent. It was just a matter of time. Good to see. Uh, some quick other notes just from the standings. The Central Division with the Avalanche, Stars, and... And the Jets. Jets. Uh, are the division with the most amount of points. It's it's not too wide a margin. Uh, the New York Rangers, after having a breakout year last year, after showing some potential the year before, sit atop their division. This looks like it might be here to stay. Uh, really solid regular season team at this point, at the point where I'm expecting that to start converting into some playoff success. And we're just halfway through the season. There's still a lot to go, but right now the Detroit Red Wings sit in playoff position. Ten plus years after beginning the rebuild, it seems like things are finally happening for the Red Wings. Uh, so a good month to live in Michigan and be a sports fan all around, as long as you don't like basketball. Yeah, we'll, we'll just we'll ignore the the basketball team and and the Red Wings. Getting a big win last night against the Leafs, who have dropped three consecutive really, really poor performance in the third period games, uh, and and something needs to get figured out quickly there. I think we see a trade looming in, in the near future here for Toronto. Sorry, guys. I really tried to talk about things in the NHL that weren't the Leafs, but we just can't help it. Um, we're running out of time here, so this basketball rant that I have brewing had a development this morning, and I'm very curious to see how it shapes up. So based on that, I'm happy to talk about it next week. Um, suffice to say, the, the refs just... Oh my... <laughs> it's It's crazy that there's zero accountability for them, because this is one of the few referee groups that gets paid a significant sum of money to referee yeah they don't need part-time jobs uh, they're protected uh but still get reviewed with the last two minutes reports that the game releases and yet it doesn't seem like there's any adjustments being made and so what is the nba going to do here as i guess all sports it's a big issue to keep an eye on as gambling increases and and so much money is sitting on these games you just can't have human error and so it's something that needs to be addressed. And I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. Mike Brown set out a fascinating attempt to do so. I'm really looking forward to see if anything becomes of it. Something's brewing. We'll certainly keep track of it. But until next time, Sports Next Door signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound. Hey man, this ain't no fishing town. 
Yeah, they're fishing, but that ain't all.